Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode number 52 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host for the show, Alison Colley. I'm a solicitor and employment law specialist at Real Employment Law Advice. We provide advice to employers and employees on all aspects of employment law, HR and best practice at work. In this episode of the podcast, I'm going to be bringing you a recent case about restrictive covenants. And it's come at a really interesting time because it's hot on the heels of my latest article in my newsletter, which goes out fortnightly, alternate weeks to this podcast. And for those of you who don't receive it in the last one, which was sent out on actually on Tuesday, because we had a bank holiday, I included some details in there and a feature about restrictive covenants. And then fortunately, this case came along, which reiterates all the points that I've raised in that. So hopefully this is helpful for you. Before I get into this week's featured content, I do just want to make a note and mention about the National Living Wage. For those of you who listen regularly would have heard in episode 51 me talking about the national minimum wage, including the living wage. Now this came into force on the 1st of April and therefore from the 1st of April all employees aged 25 and over are entitled to receive a minimum of £7.20 an hour. Now I've had a number of calls from employees recently who are complaining because their employers are making changes to their employment contracts without consulting them and without their permission to try to reduce their wages and reduce their overheads because of the introduction of the living wage. Um, some of you may also have heard about an employee from B&Q who has decided to remain anonymous, which is probably a good idea, but has set up a petition online because B&Q are seeking to change employee terms and conditions by reducing bonuses and changing their pay structure because of the living wage and apparently um, according to the employee using the living wage as an excuse to try to do this. Now reputationally that's not great for B&Q because it's all over the internet as being talked about and we talked about the reputational issues in episode 51. Now what I would say to you as an employer if you find that your wage bill is going to increase to the extent that it's going to be very difficult for you to continue to operate with the same level of staffing or the same pay and benefits then please get some advice before you make those changes. Because once you start down that route, if you've started to breach the employee's contract and cause difficulties, then it can be very hard to go back on that. So it's worth getting some advice in advance because there are things you can do and there are ways of going about it. If you'd like some specific advice related to your business, then you can contact me. My email is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk and I'd be happy to arrange an initial free telephone consultation with you. Okay, so as I said in the introduction, this case this week is about a restrictive covenant. And the employer in this case, I'll read you their full name, it's Bartholomew's Agri-Food Limited. They are the employer. They were seeking an injunction in the High Court to prevent their employee, as he was at that time, Michael Thornton, from working for one of their competitors. The facts of this case are that Mr Thornton had been employed by Bartholomew's since 97. Um, he had been employed initially 
as a trainee agronomist and then he went on to become a specialist agronomist. Now for those of you who don't know, an agronomist, hopefully I'm saying that the right way, specialises in a type of soil and plant science. So it's a scientist for soil and plant, that's a speciality. And Bartholomew's provided agronomy advice to farmers and agronomy again for your information is defined as the science and technology of producing and using plants for food fuel fiber and land reclamation bartholomew supplied products and services to the agricultural sector so they provided um, services which was the agronomy advice which mr thornton was involved in and off the back of that they obviously sold products and that sort of thing and it was to the agricultural sector so mostly farmers and those sorts of businesses Having been employed by Bartholomew's for approximately 19 years, Mr Thornton was offered a job with ProCam UK Limited and they are the supplier of seeds from various seed products, so in part in competition with Bartholomew's. Now, on the 21st of December 2015, Mr Thornton gave in his notice. He was required to give th- three months' notice which was due to expire on the 22nd of March 2016. Shortly after giving in his notice, he was placed on garden leave. So from the 6th of January 2016, he was placed on garden leave, so he wasn't allowed to work. When Bartholomew's found out where Mr Thornton was going to be working, they applied to the High Court for an injunction, an interim injunction, to prevent him from working for ProCam UK Limited in breach of the restrictive covenants that were contained within his employment contract. Now, his employment contract dated from the 28th of November 97, so right back when he first started work as a trainee. And it contained various restrictions, which I have to say were very badly drafted and was acknowledged by the court that they were badly drafted. But I'll read them to you so you can understand exactly what the contractual provisions are that they were relying on. And these have been taken straight from the judgment, so I'll read those for you. So the first was Clause 10, which related to company confidentiality, was the heading. And it said, Employees should not, during the continuance of their employment, or at any time thereafter, divulge any of the details of the business of trade information relating to Bartholomew's Holdings Limited or any subsidiary company acquired during their employment by the company or any person, firm or other organisation. So that was relating to the disclosure of confidential information. And then the second clause was 10.2, which was the protection of knowledge acquired due to the company's specialist business. That's the heading of the clause. And it says... Employees shall not, for a period of six months immediately following the termination of their employment, be engaged on work supplying goods or services of a similar nature which compete with the company to the company's customers with a trade competitor within the company's trading area, brackets, which is West and East Sussex, Kent, Hampshire, Wiltshire and Dorset, brackets, or on their one account without prior approval from the company. In this unlikely event, the employee's full benefits will be paid during this period. So that was the clauses that the employer Bartholomew's were seeking to rely on to get an injunction to stop Mr Thornton from working for ProCam UK Limited. Mr Thornton argued that the clauses were a restraint of trade, that they were unreasonable and unenforceable, that they were too wide in their scope and that there was no confidential information that he had to be protected. On the other hand, the employers argued that 
Mr Thornton had access to customers who had a considerable reliance on the advice that he provided to them and therefore they had built up a relationship and he had become their trusted advisor so they were more likely to have that relationship with the individual like Mr Thornton than they were with the company and therefore there was a particular need to protect their business. They said that the advice Mr Thornton provided was particularised for the individual client and that he actually had 52 agronomy clients um, and it turned out that most of those were in West Sussex and not across the region that they were trying to protect. The employer also alleged that he had a wider role in terms of marketing for the business and that he had access to customers and clients at various events and there was a particular reliance on a trade event which took place in which a PowerPoint presentation was given and they relied on that to say, well, he had access to the wider customers, but also to confidential information, as demonstrated by that PowerPoint. Mr Thornton said in terms of his new role, that he was going to be the seeds and traits technical manager, and that his role was rather different. Although he would be providing some direct advice to customers, it was more of a national technical role. However, he was openly admitting in his evidence that he would work with some of his existing clients from Bartholomew's if they wanted to move with him to ProCam Limited. And in terms of confidential information, Mr Thornton argued that there was no confidential information that they should be protected here and that actually his information that he held was limited to that about individual farms and a lot of it was out of date because it's very seasonal so the information he might hold about a farm would change with the different seasons so it quickly becomes out of date. So as you can see there are both sides of the arguments here for and against the restraint of trade clauses within his contract. On the one hand the employer is saying that this is a guy who has specific knowledge of individual customers, specific relationships and that should be protected on the other hand, the employee is saying, well, actually, no, that's not confidential information and that the scope of the restrictions are far too wide because they would essentially prevent him from working. What was particularly interesting about this case is that within the clause, within the restrictions, you may have heard when I was reading it out, that there was a provision in there for Bartholomew's to continue to pay Mr Thornton if they relied on those restrictive covenants. So Mr Thornton would be able to get another job and work elsewhere but he wouldn't be able to breach the terms of the contract and if he didn't then they would continue to pay him so he would essentially have two salaries. Now they said because of that that gives them that additional protection from him breaching those restrictions and that therefore they were essentially compensating him for agreeing not to go and work with their customers for example. Unfortunately for Bartholomew's the court here were unwilling to grant an injunction and found that actually the restrictions were too wide. Now, the reasons for this, and I'm going to read from the judgment here because I think it's really interesting. The judge said, to my mind, clause 10.2 is in restraint of trade and unenforceable. It was imposed on the respondent, so Mr Thornton, as long ago as 1997, at a time when he was a trainee agronomist with no experience and no customer contacts. And in terms were, in my judgment, manifestly inappropriate for such a junior employee. And I reject the distinction sought to be made on behalf of Bartholomew's that Mr Thornton was never promoted but actually remained on the same terms and conditions throughout his employment. So what the first point that the judge made here was actually at the time that the restraint of trade clause was entered into, so the restrictive covenant was entered into, was right back when he was a trainee and there was actually no information that he had to be protected at that time 
And that's what the court will look at. They will say, at the time this was entered into, was it reasonable and would it have been enforceable at that time against him? And in this case, it wasn't because he was a trainee. And the judge in this case relied on a previous case from 2012, which is called Pat Systems versus Neely, if anybody's interested. And in that case, a non-compete clause within the employment contract was unenforceable at the time it was agreed because of the employee's status and role at that time. And therefore, it remained unenforceable regardless of his promotion. So you can't have a restrictive covenant and then say, actually, the employee's grown into that restrictive covenant over time. What you would need to do is ensure that you review the restrictive covenants as employees' roles change to make sure they're appropriate. And I'll come on to some guidance following this case shortly. The judge then went on to say that in addition to this, the restraint was far wider than was reasonably necessary for the protection of Bartholomew's legitimate business interests. Because it applied to all of the customers of Bartholomew's and not just the customers that Mr Thornton had dealt with, it was too wide. Further to this, the court looked at actually what was the contribution of Mr Thornton? What impact did he have and how many clients and customers of Bartholomew's did he actually deal with? And on looking at the figures, it turned out that he was attributable to only 1% of Bartholomew's total turnover. So therefore, by saying that Mr Thornton couldn't deal with any of Bartholomew's clients, they were covering that 99% of customers and clients that he hadn't actually dealt with. And therefore, for that reason, it was too wide. Interestingly, the judge in this case went on to say that actually had the restraint been for six months and said that he wasn't allowed to deal or solicit customers that he had dealt with himself in the previous six or 12 months, for instance, then that would have been sufficient to protect the business interests of Bartholomew's and it wouldn't have been too wide as to restrict him. The fact that it covered such a wide area as well in terms of his non-compete also wasn't relevant to actually what they were trying to protect here. And then finally, the judge addressed this point about the payment that was going to be made to Mr Thornton. The point that the the employer, Bartholomew, had relied on here was that they were going to be paying him for this. And what the judge said was that it wasn't in the public interest or public policy to permit an employer to purchase, essentially, a restraint upon an employee. And therefore, it made no difference to the fact that they were going to be paying him that the fact that it was too wide and unenforceable. And then finally, with regards to confidential information, there was no definition contained within the contract as to what confidential information was. And therefore, it was very difficult to actually narrow down what the confidential information was that they were relying on. And there was no evidence produced by the employer that of the confidential information which they said Mr Thornton was in, in possession of. And in fact, what they were referring to was the skill and knowledge that he had obtained over the last 18 or 19 years of his career. Therefore, the judge decided that the interim application for an injunction could not go ahead, which basically left the door open for Mr Thornton to go and work for Procram UK Limited and to openly contact the customers of Bartholomew's. What's really interesting about this case is that, as I said earlier, it follows on from a the piece I did in my newsletter recently and which I'll put a link to in the show notes because the details are on the website at viceforemployers.co.uk and it's the fact that I'm constantly talking to clients about this issue and this is a real life example of why you should be careful about your drafting of restrictive covenants 
I can see why employers, and I fully sympathise why people want to try to protect their business and they want to include clauses that cover them as much as they can. But my advice is always to ensure that it's realistic and it would be enforceable if it came to it. There's absolutely no point in having a restriction in a contract that's far too wide and that at the end of the day you're not going to be able to enforce or even want to enforce because you'd get nowhere with it. It Very quickly employees and former employees will understand and if anybody gets advice from a solicitor or a professional who knows what they're talking about then the employee will be told very quickly actually if this went to court there would be no way in which your employer would be able to prevent you from doing this so just go ahead anyway. So the best thing to do if you want to have restrictive covenants in your contract is to ensure that you understand at the outset exactly what it is you're trying to protect, that it's relevant to that employee and that it's not too wide as to prevent them from working at all. And then when you promote staff or you have changes in the business that you review contracts and you review restrictions again and this should be done regularly. As I say You only really look at the contract when things go wrong or there's a particular issue and you don't want to look at it at the crucial time when one of your key employees is going to leave and potentially take your customers with you. You don't want to look at it at that point and realise that you've got nothing you can do. So it pays to be proactive. And if you have restrictive covenants in employee contracts already and you're unsure about whether they would be enforceable or what you need to do, I'd be very happy to review them for you and give you my advice. So you can contact me by email, it's alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk and for the listeners of the podcast, if you send me over your restrictive covenants, I'd be very happy to look at those and there'll be no charge for the initial review and therefore you've got absolutely nothing to lose by having me look over them for you. So another interesting case from the High Court this time about restrictive covenants. Thanks very much for listening. I do hope you have a great week. And as I say, if you would like further information about what I've discussed in this podcast, you can go to adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 52 and you'll find all the notes there. This episode of the Employment Law and HR podcast is brought to you by the HR Harbour. The HR Harbour is an innovative software system for employers and business owners who have staff who are tired of managing folders in their desktop and that sort of thing. So if you'd like some more information about the system, then you can contact me. It's alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.